Hey, welcome to night school. I'm just going to be talking a little bit about something that bothers me, which tends to be a much more attractive premise for an episode than things I love. Hey, you want to listen to me talk for an hour and 40 about things I love? Got to sprinkle things I love in with this complaint, with this complaint session. But I mean, who wants to listen to somebody talk about things they love? Who wants to hear the good news? No, but something that bothers me, and it's something that, it's it's just one of those many things that once you start noticing it, you start noticing it often. And so many things work that way, where it takes you noticing it, it takes you becoming aware of it, to realize that it's something that happens all the time. And it's actually built into so many of our communications, personally and professionally. And that's when you can't do something, the expectation that you need to offer an explanation. And I guess I'll just get the the work side of it out of the way, which I know has come up on here before. But, you know, there's many workplaces, and I don't know if this is a universal rule. I don't know if this is a an actual legal policy that workplaces have to adhere to, or if it's a a decision that a workplace makes, you know, on an individual basis. You know, I don't know if it's something that, if it's a decision that a company makes internally, or if it's something that they have to honor some larger law or policy. But I've been told at workplaces before that as long as you follow protocol as long as you follow the rules and use paid time off, you don't have to offer an explanation as to you know why you are taking that time off. And even though that's the rule, that you don't have to offer an explanation, it's still kind of implied that you'll give one. You know, if you've ever actually tried that, if you've ever, if you've ever followed all the rules, you followed the protocol, and you call out sick to work, or you just call out, you don't even have to say you're sick, you say you can't make it in. If you say that, you'll hear this kind of pregnant pause where they wait. They want to hear why. Even though they legally, or maybe as a matter of company policy, can't demand that of you, there's this expectation that you'll offer something And it might reflect poorly on you if you don't say anything. Even though it makes no difference. You know, you're not coming in and you're doing it the right way. You're following the rules and procedure. And they've even told you. They've even told you that you don't have to say why. There is still this pregnant pause that you are expected to fill in with an explanation. And that can lead you to lie. You know, there are so many things that workplaces do that encourage you to be dishonest as a matter of survival, as a matter of self-preservation. And one of those is you know, offering some sort of excuse or explanation for why you can't come in, even when it's not mandatory to do that. You'll, you'll feel that pregnant pause. You'll feel the pressure of a pregnant pause, to use some alliteration. The pressure of a pregnant pause... I hear other cultures have a word for that. They have a word. You don't even have to say pressure of a pregnant pause. They have a a single word. And that's, ugh. Uh, But no, you'll, you'll feel that pressure and you'll feel the need to say something even when you 
you know, and it's, it's the same reason why if you call out sick and you really are sick, you'll try to sound sick. It just encourages this kind of subtle dishonesty in people, even when it's not legally mandatory, even as a matter of policy, when you don't have to do it, it somehow reflects poorly on you if you don't offer an explanation. And in offering an explanation, you then have to kind of perform it. Because, you know, a lie is always a performance, even if it's a subtle lie, even if it's a soft lie. And that's been a big thing for me in the last 10 years is when I realized how many soft lies that I was making. And it all started, too, with saying sorry for things that I'm not sorry about. Like if somebody asked me for money on a street corner, I used to say, sorry, I can't help you. I'm sorry. And one time I said that and I was like, I don't like the way I feel when I say that because I'm not sorry. I feel bad for them. But I'm not sorry about anything. And saying sorry makes me feel sorry. When I say I'm sorry to somebody, even though I'm not sorry, I suddenly start feeling like a sorry person. And so that was kind of the start of this, is realizing that. You know, I've mentioned before, too, when I also realized that when a cashier asked me how I was doing, or even if I wasn't feeling great, if I said, oh, I'm great. I actually felt better. If I told a cashier, oh, I'm, I'm doing great, I'm, I'm doing great, how I kind of would leave still feeling that way. Even though I may not have been feeling that way before, simply saying that out loud to another human being and maybe changing my facial expression, I would find myself, oh, I'm smiling on my way out of the grocery store. What's wrong with me? And so those are, you know, not entirely unrelated ideas because they involve, you know, kind of rewiring yourself and you, you learn that you can rewire yourself just in a given moment. It's not even a, it's a long-term thing for sure, but you can even do it in the short term and you just have to notice. Again, it comes back to noticing where you just, you notice a change in yourself. So, uh, you know, avoiding telling soft lies. And you could say that saying you're doing great when you're not doing great is a soft lie too, but at least it has a positive outcome. You know, because when you apologize for something that you, first of all, didn't do, I mean, I didn't do anything. I just can't help this person. You know, but you end up feeling sorry. So it's those sorts of soft lies. The, the soft lies that subtly corrupt you. And that you can become way too comfortable with. You become so comfortable telling soft lies that you do it all the time. And the thing about soft lies is you have to tell them sometimes. You absolutely have to tell soft lies in certain situations. But you don't want to do it too freely. You know, it's like the idea of perfection where it's like you're not going to be perfect. But you should still strive to be heading in that direction. You know, that should be the direction you're heading in. You, you don't use your inevitable perfection as an excuse to be the opposite of perfect. You know, and so it's like you don't tell too many soft lies because then you end up being the opposite of what you want to be. You end up just becoming a liar. You become way too comfortable telling a lot of lies, even though they're small, even though they don't matter, even though they're not the things that we would typically associate 
with a pathological liar, you end up telling a lot of lies. You end up telling a lot of lies. You do, though, when you think about that, when you think about all the times that you say you can't do something and you come up with some sort of explanation that isn't entirely truthful or might even be an outright lie that doesn't hurt anybody, but you nonetheless become more comfortable doing that. And in accepting the fact that you have to do that sometimes, you can strive not to do it most of the time. So that when you do tell a soft lie, well, it's an imperfection, but at least it's not chronic. At least you're not doing it all the time. And again, it's not even about the impact that that has on other people, because the thing about soft lies is that they never hurt another person. That's why they're soft. They're usually rather minor But it does corrupt you just a little bit. And so many things in life are the result of just a slight corruption. But those kind of add together. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like with the homeless person thing. You know, somebody asks you for money and you say, I'm sorry. Or you say you don't have it. There's that aspect where you lie. Even though you got a pocket full of $1 bills, you got a roll of bills, baby. You got a roll of bills. You say, I don't have any, I don't have any, even though change is rattling in your pocket. You say you don't have any. So I don't say that either. I don't apologize and I don't say I don't have any. I just say I can't help you. Which actually can be a little bit off-putting. Because people aren't used to that. People are used to sorry. They're used to somebody's voice taking on this kind of, sorry. You know, it's, it's really disgusting. It feels disgusting when you notice yourself doing it because it doesn't help that other person in any way. It doesn't actually help them in any way to lie. It just kind of gets you out. It's an out. You're getting, you're bailing yourself out. But if you just say, I can't do it, I can't help you. It's a little bit off because people aren't used to like that level of bluntness. And it's not rude. It's just a fact. I can't help you. You know, even if I have a pocket full of dollar bills, I'm going to need them. I need the I need this roll of bills. I need this change. But taking that approach to people you know is a whole other thing. It's one thing if it's just a stranger who wants something from you, which is my nickname. That's my nickname, baby. I'm the stranger who wants something from you. Uh, but no, it, it's it's different when it's people with your personal life because you feel more obligated. And this came up for me last week where a person who's a a part of my life and will always be a part of my life. They, they asked me for my time. Basically, they didn't need help with anything. They didn't need a favor. They weren't in need, but basically they needed my time. And normally I'm happy to supply that, but I had an obligation and I told, I, I told them I couldn't because of this obligation. And they asked me for specifics about that obligation. And you have to be, close to me to get away with that. You have to be close with me because it's one of the things that bothers me more than anything is when you tell someone you can't do something and they ask for an for an explanation. They ask for an explanation. It's when they ask you for more information that they don't need. Because there's an implication in that that you're being dishonest or that you're somehow... What it is, and I mean, in this case, with the people I know who are built into my life, and I love them, and so this is just a small little blip. 
you know, but the people I know who ask you for more, when you say you can't do something, and even if you give them a general idea of what the thing is that's preventing you from doing that is, you know, even if you give that to them and they press you for more information, it's not that they think you're dishonest. It's not that they think you're lying. With the people I know who do that, they're people who aren't used to people not doing what they want. They're not necessarily manipulative. You know, these are, I'm talking about people I care about here. It's not that they're manipulative. It's, it's nothing like that. It's just that they're kind of taken aback when someone doesn't do exactly what they want. And the people I know who kind of press you, they tend to be people who, who are used to having other people accommodate them no matter what it is. And it's not like a spoiled brat thing. I'm not saying these people are spoiled brats at all. In fact, like some of the people I know who do this, I would say have great character. But still, they've become accustomed to people doing what they want when they want it. So when you say you don't, you just simply can't do it, they're almost like, well, wait a second. Wait a second, are you telling me you're not going to do what I want? And so it's good for them to sometimes get pushback. It doesn't have to be a discussion, but I think it's good sometimes when you just can't do things for someone. Especially when they're kind of entitled, you know, and I, I do think it is a degree of entitlement that causes someone to say that. And just that kind of came up recently where somebody wanted me to do something that I couldn't, I really couldn't. It wasn't even a soft lie where I told them I had an obligation. I had an actual obligation and they asked me for the specifics about my obligation. And I knew right away, I was like, are you kidding me? Because my, my response to that, my like internal response is, fuck off. Get out of here. I don't owe you any explanation. I don't owe you the details of what I have to do that prevents me from doing what you want me to do. But because, you know, if you care about someone, if someone's kind of built into your life, first of all, it's such a minor blip. It's not a big deal. That I just told him. I just I told him that, oh, you want to know the details? Here are the details. And that's fine. You know, it's you know, I'm I'm the kind of friend, I'm the kind of person, I'm the kind of relative that uh you know, I don't get pushed around, but I also I'm not the the person who necessarily needs to run the show either. And uh so I feel like it works out in the end. Like I, I never feel like I give in to that kind of thing. But it was just kind of an interesting interaction because, you know, it wasn't new. It it wasn't a new thing, but it was just it's kind of interesting because I'm just like you're asking me to give you an explanation for why I can't do this thing. And uh, and some people, you know, they they kind of just go there. They kind of just go there with like, oh, you're gonna have to explain this one to me. But you don't owe them that. Because if it was a stranger, imagine if a stranger asked you that. Like if a homeless person asked you for a dollar and you said, can't do it. And they said, why? You don't owe them that. And you'd be extremely put off. But when it's somebody you know, or especially if they have some kind of power over you. I mean, that's the unfortunate thing about, you know, an employer. Because even if an employer says you don't owe us an explanation as long as you follow protocol and use your paid time off, your PTO, you know, even if they tell you that, if they want an explanation, you kind of have to give it to them. And you're going to feel obligated to do that anyway. 
there's going to be a subtle pressure to do it anyway. But if it was a total stranger, you don't feel any need, even though we do. I mean, that's how neurotic and wild it is to be a human is that even (laughs) you even feel an obligation to tell a total stranger why you can't do something if they ask. You're so taken aback by it. You're so like, oh, my God, they're asking me why? Uh, Well, I can't give you the dollar that's in my pocket because I need to use it to pay for parking. And if I don't pay for parking, I can't go uh, do my Christmas shopping. But the reality is you can just cut it off right there. You can cut it off right in the moment and just be like, oh, yeah, I don't owe them anything. Doesn't mean being a jerk. But you can just say, hey, I don't actually owe you any more information and you can apply that to your friends too, your relatives, people who press you. And, you know, your parents are a little different. You know, I think sometimes, you know, if you tell your parents you can't do something, there's just a difference to that relationship. They created you. The people who created you, I think, have, you know, there's a little more wiggle room, but you're also aware of it when it's happening. Like if your parent presses you for more information, especially when you're growing up, If you tell your parent you're not going to do something or can't do something and they ask you why, that's just kind of built into the parent-child dynamic. I don't think it's overly invasive. It's just sort of like, wait a second, you're my child. I deserve a little more information. Um, You know, I think it's a little different depending on who it is. You know, and like I said, if it's somebody who's just a part of your life, it might tick you off for a second. But hopefully there is a greater good. I mean, in my situation, the people I know who have a tendency to do that, there's a a much larger and greater good to why they're a part of my life. Otherwise, I wouldn't deal with it. You know, so the fact that it's, it's, I see it almost more like a quirk. Like, because when this person last week pressed me for more details on my obligation... I was like, are you kidding me? Are you doing this to me? When I saw the message, I was like, are you, are you really asking me that? And, but then I just, I just kind of laughed it off and, and replied. But I mean, there's a reason too why people presume. There's a reason why people presume maybe you're just you're trying to get out because we do tend to be dishonest about those kinds of things. So it's in a way when someone gives us some sort of you know, some sort of empty excuse, we almost want to be like, well, I just want to make sure you're not telling me a soft lie. But it kind of like in the same way that I, I stopped apologizing for certain things that I ha- that I owe no apology for, I've started doing the same thing with excuses, where I used to have all sorts of excuses. I'm sick. I'm sick. Oh, I can't do that because of this. I got I got this other thing I have to do for so-and-so. I used to have all these excuses for why I couldn't do things. Like if somebody invited me to a party, which is an honor and a privilege to get invited to a party, but if I just didn't want to go, I would feel the need to say, oh, yeah, I got this thing with my mom and the so-and-so, and be like, your mom's dead, dude. That would, that's what they would say now, <laughs> which would be an, a crazy exchange. Um, it would be amazing, actually. If like if I used the excuse now that I couldn't do something because I was doing something for my mom and that person knew that my mom had passed away, you know, it's like, oh, you think that you, oh, you're going to, you're going to press me for an explanation? Well, I'm going to tell you something so ridiculous it'll make your head spin. 
oh yeah, I promised my mom that I was going to, you know, move some boxes and clean the garage. It's like, dude, his mom passed away. He's losing it. He's losing it. I should keep that in mind. I should use that one. But no, I used to have all these excuses because, you know, especially in the past, like I, you know, when it came down to actually doing things socially, I would always opt out. You know, when someone needs my help, I like to think that I step up. I like to step up to the plate and help them, especially if I can help them in a way that somebody else can't. Like if they think that I'm the right person to help them move. You know, if, if they need somebody to carry things or that kind of thing, I understand why maybe they would want me opposed to like somebody else. And I like to help people in that situation. I like to help people I care about. But with like, you know, social visits, things like that, you know, so, you know, so many of us experience that where we'll say we will do something or we might do something. And then when it comes down to it, we don't want to do it. And in those situations, I used to offer all kinds of excuses and explanations And similar to the I'm sorry thing, I also decided, you know what, I'm just going to tell people I can't do it. And that gets into the whole parent, you know, you can't or you won't. More like a teacher thing. I think that's more what teachers say. Or if you say you can't do something, they'd be like, don't you mean you won't? It's not that you can't do it, it's that you won't. People think they're being very clever when they point that out. But it's, it's much more rude to say I won't do it. Like if your friend says, hey, I'm throwing a party and I'd love to have you there. I just, I'd love to have you there. And you say, I won't come. I won't come. They're going to be like, holy shit, this person hates me. What's wrong with this guy? First, he said he had to do something for his mom who died a year ago. And now he's saying he won't come. I will not come. So you say, I can't. Because for me, if I won't go, if I really don't want to do something and there's no reason why I have to, like they don't depend on me, to me, that's a can't. If I really need to do just my own thing, if I really don't want to leave the house and go do something, or if there's something else I would rather do that means more to me in that window of time, to me, that's a can't. I can't do it because I'm obligated to myself. So it really doesn't matter. You, you don't need to play the, do you mean can't do you, or do you mean won't? For whatever reason, it's much more socially acceptable to say I can't do it. But I think it should be a lot more socially acceptable to not have to say why you can't. You know, because I'm a firm believer in telling somebody. I like the whole RSVP system of saying whether you will or you won't, even if it's at the last minute. You know, you don't stand people up. You don't leave them hanging. But you don't owe them any more than that. Unless it is relevant to them in some way. Unless more information is relevant. And so it's, it, and it takes adjusting. I mean, it takes adjusting on both ends. Because if somebody never tells you why they can't do what you want them to do, you are going to feel suspicious. You are going to feel weird. But you have to realize that that's your own conditioned response. And if you find somebody trustworthy, if you find, if you think somebody has decent character, just let them say what they're going to say. Let them say as much as they want to say about why they're not obligated to do something.
And maybe this sounds like it happens all the time, but that's because it does. You may not be aware of it because you are so used to operating this way on both sides. You're so used to other people giving you more information than you need. You are so used to people offering you explanations that when they don't offer you an explanation, you're like, this isn't enough. This is not enough. I want to know more about why you can't do what I want you to do. And you can, you know, I think the explanation versus description issue that I always talk about on here is very relevant here. Where if you do feel like sharing information with somebody, give them a description. Don't feel the need to turn it into a story. And that's what these things are. That's what you're supposed to give your workplace when you call out sick. You give them a story, even if it's a true story. Even if it's a true story, you still will embellish. Because we live in this world where we... Sorry, I'm just, just checking something. We live in this world where, you know, there's like a presumption of dishonesty. And of course there is, because a lot of people are dishonest. There's a lot of dishonesty. Even people who aren't just full-blown liars are soft liars, you know? It's like we're so used to that, that there's this sort of presumption of dishonesty and so even when you're telling the truth, you'll have a tendency to embellish that. Oh, hey, I can't come into work because I'm sick. I got a coldie. I got a, I got a coldie. Can you hear? Oh, I'm going to sneeze right now. Yeah, I've developed this cough. I've developed a cough. Oh, as, as, as fate would have it, I'm going to cough right now into the phone so that you can hear that I got a cough so that you know I'm not lying. You know, we even when we're, when we're telling the truth, our the pressure to explain rather than describe is so severe, and I think it is severe. <laughs> I think it is severe, even though it's subtle. It's it's a subtle severity. You know, that pressure though to explain is so severe that even when we're telling the truth, we will embellish the truth because we think that that is a superior explanation or that that hammers home the point, but. It corrupts you to do that. It doesn't make you feel good. I mean, I've called out sick to work before, and I've actually felt my entire day has been ruined because I either exaggerated or felt the need to... I, even in situations where I didn't exaggerate or say anything dishonest, I just spent the whole day thinking, like, I hope they think I'm really sick, even when I was really sick. I spent the whole day thinking, like, God, I, I hope that they... And, and I mean, you, you end up with stuff, too, where it's like, oh, I hope that, you know, if I have to go to the store today... I called out sick, and I'm going to go to the store because I need stuff. And I, I hope a coworker doesn't see me on their lunch break doing something. You know, you end up with that situation, and um, I don't know, it's just... it. it it creeps into your life, and, and next thing you know, it's habitual, and we're born into it, too. You know, we're born into this world where that's a currency. I mean, again, it's, it's, a, it's the cycle of abuse. It, it's, a, it's the currency. It's like when you're used to those sorts of interactions, when you're used to 
having to do these things as a matter of survival or self-preservation, you then expect them from other people too. And that's why I, I joke, but I think there is something kind of abusive to it. I think there is something like subtly, again, it's, it's very subtle. It's a subtle psychological abuse. Um, because when you demand something of somebody that they don't need to offer, I think there is something. There is something. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to go on. Keep going on with these heavy words, but I, I do think there is something kind of abusive about that. And you don't because you don't owe them anything. But you know, it also plays out in different ways too, where I ran into a situation recently. I mean, I actually, run into this situation fairly regularly it feels like but you know with people sending you things and if somebody's my friend if I feel like I have a connection with somebody I like when they send me things I like when they send me music I like when they send me videos I I like when they found something that they think that I will appreciate I don't take that for granted I don't take for granted the fact that people I know come across things that they think I would be interested in or amused by and they want to share them. I have huge issues with the smartphone, though. You know, I'm very defensive. You know, my attitude about smartphones is very similar to my attitude about Trumpsfeld. Where, you know, I I think that I respond, like, it's not that I don't think people should be allowed to criticize smartphones or to criticize Donald Trumpsfeld. I don't it's not that I don't think people should be allowed to criticize them. Of course they should. There are things that can be criticized, therefore go right ahead. But I think I, I do tend to respond to the hysteria. Where there is this sort of hysterical response to people using their smartphones and people who are reliant on smartphones. It's what I call phone shaming. People will be like, oh, there are, she's always on her phone. Oh, she's always taking selfies. She's just always just in her phone. I was driving down the street. I drove past the high school the other day, and all the kids were walking. And you know what they were doing? They were staring at their phones. You know, it's there's that sort of hysteria. And I think it is a hysteria. Oh, you know what? Uh, the smartphones are the reason why everybody's at each other's throats. Everybody's at each other's throats because they're all got their faces in the social media or smartphone. You know what? I went over to Mike's house. I went over to Mike's house and he didn't even make eye contact with me because his face was buried in his phone. We've started calling him, you know, we call him Mikey Phones. We call him Mikey the Phone because all he does is stare. All Mike does is stare at his phone. You know, it, it's not that, you know, phones are above criticism. It's not that Donald Trumpsfeld is above criticism. It's more the hysteria in response that I tend to be critical of. Which So that applies to phone shaming as well as Trump shaming, Trumpsfeld shaming. And so I, I think my attitude towards those things is very close, actually. Smartphones and Donald Trumpsfeld, they're the same thing to me. But so I am. I tend to come across defensive of phones in some ways. But at the same time, I'm not a phone guy. I want to make that distinction very clear. Where I might be defensive of smartphones, 
But I am not a smartphone guy at all. I have one. I guess maybe that makes me a smartphone guy. If you have a smartphone, you're a smartphone guy. It's as plain as that. It's simple. It's really simple. Um, no, but the reality is I'm not, you know, I check it regularly throughout the day. I take it with me. I feel weird without it. But I'm not buried in it. And and the hysteria in response, you know, I think I've mentioned this on here before, but a couple years ago I was out for a jog and I ran into my friend's boyfriend. He's now her husband. But I ran into him, and he and I had a history of running into each other in strange places. He's a, a walker. He's a wanderer like I am. So he and I, we've run into each, we ran into each other in really strange places. And one time I ran into him in the next town over in a really remote, weird place. And I was just like, wow, you're here? And he's like, yeah, I was out. I was... I wanted to explore, you know, it's kind of like me where if I drive past an area in my town or a nearby town and I realize that I've never set foot on that sidewalk, if I've never walked down a certain street, I go, that's kind of weird that I haven't set my feet there. I've seen this place a million times. It's weird to me that I haven't walked there. And I kind of make a note in my head that I want to walk there. I want, <laughs> I, I, I do, I, I make a note where I'm like, you know, I need to plan on walking there someday. It's just something I, I genuinely feel compelled to do. And so when you meet somebody like that, it's cool. And this guy, you know, he's my friend's husband, so it's, he's not like my good buddy or anything, but he and I had a history of running into each other in strange places when we're on our own little adventures. And so I was jogging and I ran into him and I was like, there you are. And I was like, you know, my friend, his wife, I was like, she would get a kick out of us taking a selfie together. And I'm not, a, you know, I don't know. I guess I took one selfie with my mom. In general, though, I'm not a person who's really ever done that. I'm not that person who has ever held my phone up. You know, I've taken those of myself, but I've never been somebody who's like, everybody get your heads in here. Everybody get your heads in the, in the, the lens. Um, I'm never somebody who's done that who takes selfies with another person, for sure, and I barely have done it to myself. But I thought it would be funny, there, a, a sense of irony, you know, to taking a photo with my friend's husband, because she knows we run into each other out in the wild in weird places. And so it would be really funny if she got a random message that's just a selfie of us two out in the, you know, in the rain. It was raining. I think that was what was funny about it is we would run into each other in random places. And on this occasion, it wasn't even that the place was that strange. It was that we were both out in the pouring rain. So I thought it was funny to send her that. But as we were taking the selfie, which again, like if you know me, I think there's people I know, maybe I'm getting a little grandiose here, I think there's people I know who would be very amused at the sight of me holding my phone up with somebody else to take a selfie. If they saw that out in the wild, they would be like, what is Eric doing? And a car driving by honked and gave us the finger. And they were doing it because we were taking a selfie on a street corner. We weren't doing anything to anybody else. It was purely like some sort of anti-smartphone, anti-modern rage. It probably looked gay. I, I bet the guy driving this car, I bet he thought, that's gay. That those two men are taking a selfie in front of everybody in public. They're taking a selfie on a street corner as we are all driving by them. I think that's gay. 
I think that's what the person was thinking. But they gave us the finger. I was And I was shocked by that. Because I'm just like, wow, that person really didn't like what we were doing. Um, and they don't even know the story. The reality is I do have an explanation. The reality is, you know, the explanation is that Oh, no, you don't get it. This isn't us just taking a random photo of ourselves for for us. This is for us. This is for us, people. No, this, is, this isn't that. This is the fact that my friend's wife, who's my friend, who's how I know this guy, would think it was really silly and ridiculous that he and I took a selfie together out in the pouring rain. After this history of running into each other in random places. Anyway, that's, I, I dragged that story out too far. But the point was, is just that this person had this... I mean, if you give the middle finger, that's a hysterical reaction. We don't think of it that way. We think of the finger as this stoic gesture. The middle finger is not stoic. The middle finger is hysteria. <laughs> it is, though. I mean, it's like you're... Even if you're doing it as a joke, I mean, the only excuse you have is to do it as a joke. If you're giving somebody the finger in earnest, you're behaving in a hysterical way. Even if your lips aren't moving, that's a hysterical response to something. And the fact that you would do that to two total strangers from your car after honking your horn, you know, that's a little bit much. You might hate what people do with smartphones, but uh, what you're doing is far worse. But uh, anyway, to go back to, you know, why I started on this smartphone talk, I'm not a smartphone guy. I don't look at a lot of things. Like, I have the social meteor accounts on my phone. I have a couple of them. I can look at social meteor on my phone. But I don't typically look at the internet, and my smartphone's old. It's only like three and a half years old, but that's old. A three-and-a-half-year-old smartphone, is it's a full-grown, it's a mature smartphone. In the same way that some animals are full-grown at three-and-a-half, a smartphone is ancient, apparently, at three-and-a-half. And so it, it's a little bit clunky. It, uh, you know, and it was even, a, it was actually an old phone. It was an older model when I even got it three-and-a-half years ago. So it was one of, it was like the oldest model you could still buy. So it wasn't even that it was just, uh, it wasn't even that it was a brand new model in 2017. It was, you know, it was an older model even then. Oh, is that an older model, a smartphone? Smartphone? In fact, it is, but it can take selfies in the rain. But it, but anyway, so I'm, just to hammer the point home, I defend smartphones, but I am not a enthusiast. I simply just defend people's right to use them as they see fit. But with, you know, being a non-smartphone guy with a smartphone, there's just not a lot that I like to look at that way. Like, I don't like to browse the internet on it, and I never do. Like, if I'm in a waiting room, once in a blue moon, I will check something on the plain old internet on my phone. But usually I bring a book. And even then, I, I don't like hover on social media. If I'm in a waiting room, the wait is made dramatically worse if I try to kill time on my phone. So I'd rather bring a book or simply like just sit there. Sometimes, sometimes life you know, presents you with situations that are boring no matter what. 
And if you just sit there doing nothing, it's actually kind of like you're becoming one with the boredom and it actually makes it better in some way. Like that happens to me in doctor's office waiting rooms where it's like I can't immerse myself in whatever book I'm reading and I know that the second that I do start to feel immersed in it, they're going to call my name and disrupt me. Looking at my phone in a waiting room just feels like agony. So why don't I just sit here and deal with the fact that I'm bored. This situation is inherently boring. I'm inherently boring. So why don't I just sit here and be one with that thought, you know? But uh, people will send me links. That was my point originally. Is Sometimes people will send me YouTube videos. They'll send me links to things, and I dread it. Every time I get it, I just go, oh, oh. that hammer the point home (laughs) I need to do that more doing that makes me realize that I need to do that more but that's how I feel when I get a link to something or a video and it's sort of like having you know in the same way I talk about having spiritual confidants or that we have confidants that we'll talk to about certain things like if you have a job like there are certain co-workers that you have an established trust with and you can vent to them about things and you know that they won't rat you out. They, You know that it doesn't leave that room. You know, and you also have spiritual confidants where it's like, oh, hey, this is some crazy stuff that people will, that'll make people uncomfortable or they'll think you're crazy. So it's nice to know that I have certain people that I can talk to about this. Well, the same is true for exchanging content, as they call it today. The same is true for sharing media media content the same is true for that where you have confidants and they're people who one you're close enough to that if you don't look at it it's not going to cause any problem like if you don't click the link it's not going to make or break your friendship oh we were friends until you didn't watch the video i texted you i thought you were my friend but you didn't watch the video i texted you 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 know, uh, it's like your relationship is going to be... In the same way I'm talking about the people who will press you for more information when you say you can't do something. In the same way that, like, if a friend of mine does that, if if I say, oh, I can't do it, I have uh, this going on, and they say, well, what time is it at? Where is it at? You know, in the same way, I'll go, oh, fuck you. Hey, fuck you. Fuck you. You know, the same way, but that's not going to make or break our friendship. I'm not going to, oh, this this person, they just, they pressed me for more information and I'm never going to talk to them again. No, chances are they're a good enough friend or they're a relative. They're a loved one. They're a loved one. Some, one way or another, they are a loved one. And a loved one isn't going to make or break your relationship because they were a little too nosy. Um, It's the same thing to me for like, if you don't watch something that, or or even if they don't reply to something. Like I have a couple friends where I'm way more aggro in the way that I talk about things or that I'm, I'm just, some there is some friends where like the balance of energy is always, I'm always the more energetic one. I always have more to say. And to be honest, most of my friendships are the opposite where they are actually the one with more energy when it comes to engaging each other and that kind of thing. 
but there are a couple people where I'm definitely the more energetic one, and they're my dear friends, and they've made that known to me, but they just like won't get back to something I send me. Maybe never. Sometimes they'll never get back to something I send them. And there's an initial feeling of kind of like, well, I, I sure wish they would have said something. But you know they're busy. You know they've got other stuff going on. And you know that that doesn't make or break your friendship. You know you know that it's not a big deal. And that you also recognize that you have more energy. You're being more glib. It's a word Tom Cruise taught me. But, you know, you're the glib one. And when you recognize that, you go, okay, yeah, I, I just have a little more social energy in this situation. And uh, I can't expect them to match me right now. And these people, too, it's like you have confidants. Like I have a friend where if he sends me music, I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to listen to it because chances are I will like it. And even if I don't, I'll be interested in hearing what it is. And uh, with that, though, I also know that I don't have to respond. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't say anything. Sometimes I don't even click the link. And with smartphones in particular, I really don't like getting things on my smartphone. Because it takes a long time. The amount of time it takes for it to load, you know, it's like everything takes a lot longer through this device than it would on a computer, for example. And maybe it's because I have an older model. I don't know what the actual reason is, but it just, it's, it takes more patience. It takes more labor. There's a delay. Like you click a link and there's a delay and by the, and then there's an advertisement especially if it's a YouTube video, there's going to be an advertisement. And so it just ends up being this big hassle. So if somebody sends me something, you know, I just don't care. Unless they're a confidant, unless you kind of have that rapport. And I understand like sometimes there are certain people where you don't know terribly well and they might kind of send you things. That's, that's kind of a way of feeling somebody out. And I, you know, I know some people too who will send me things that I don't really care about, but I like the gesture and I'll, I'll respond just because I like them. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not somebody who likes, if somebody sends me something that I don't like, I'm never somebody who says, I hate this. Why'd you send this to me? I'm more likely to not respond or just not, or just respond, but not address that directly. But I, I run into a situation, you know, there's a family friend who will send me things since my mom passed away. And I don't want this to come across like a criticism of them or anything, but it's just, this is a person who just, you know, doesn't really know me. And they just kind of want to have a rapport with me. But they've sent me some things. And then if I don't, if I don't mention those things they send, they'll say, what'd you think of that thing? And even like, even way later, even way after the fact, they'll be like, well, what'd you think of that thing I sent? And I'm just like, man, I don't, it's, that's sort of a form of, well, why can't you make it? Oh, well, where is your appointment? What time is your point? It's sort of a version of that. Like if you send something to somebody and they don't address it and then you bring it up later, which like, again, it goes back to the confidant thing because, you know, if it's a certain friend and I send them something that I think they will be genuinely interested in and they don't bring it up, I might bring it up later. I'd be like, well, did you, did you check that thing out? And they might say, oh, no. And then I'll, I'll say, okay, well, this is why I sent it. Here's what it is. And they go, oh, I should definitely check that out. You know, so there's a, there's a time and a place for everything, but it's just this weird thing where I've ended up with people sending me things, and in particular political things. This is a, a sort of a, just a malignant 
mutation in our culture today where it's seen as appropriate to send somebody political memes, political jokes, political humor without actually knowing where you stand. And, you know, my mom had been very anti-Trump. She didn't have the hysteria. You know, I wouldn't say she had Trump derangement by any means, but she was very anti-Trump. And her friends all know that and they agree with her. But some, I don't know, just things get kind of weird when, you know, because when she passed away, some of her friends will just send me these uh, anti-Trump things or they will send me these pro-Biden things. And I'm just kind of like, what am I supposed to do with this? Because there's this assumption that I somehow have the exact same views as my mom. And while I did see certain things politically the same way my mom did, I'm not her, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I'm certainly not her. I'm not some Norman Bates. Oh, I dress up like my mom and I look at anti-Trump content. You know, I'm not like that at all. And so when people have sent me things like that, things of a political nature, I just don't respond to them because I don't typically respond to those no matter what they are. Like, if somebody thinks I really need to see some political meme, you better be pretty darn close to me. You better really know how I feel about these things or don't feel to send that. It's almost like sending someone a song or something. Like, uh, a good friend of mine was dating a guy. You know, she's a close friend of mine, so it was important for her to make it clear to her new boyfriend that I was safe. They're like, oh, I'm really close friends with this guy, but he's not a threat, which is a very difficult thing to navigate. I've been on both sides of that, and it's a very difficult thing to navigate because we are such inherently suspicious and um, we're, we're so we're, we're so suspicious and distrustful that even if something is presented to you in the light of day, again, it, it's kind of an explanation thing where like when I've had close women friends who introduce their boyfriends to me, they almost feel a need to explain their relationship to me. Or, or sorry, they, they feel the need to explain. Yeah, they need to feel they feel the need to explain their relationship to me, to their new boyfriend or whoever it is. And sometimes that can be kind of heavy handed. Like sometimes like, you know, there's that saying like thou doth protest too much. Well, I would say my version of that is thou doth explain too much. Like, if you're close friends with a woman and she feels the need to, like, over-explain why I'm a safe friend and not a threat. Like, she's not secretly, uh, she doesn't secretly sit on my lap and uh, let me grope her. Whatever it is people are afraid of. Oh, she's telling me this guy's just one of her good friends, but I know that behind closed doors she sits on his lap. You know, whatever it is that goes into men's minds, which I, like I say, I've been on both sides of this. I've had girlfriends who have close male friends and roommates, and no matter how comfortable you are with it, there's always a little something. There's always a little something, but you can't let it consume you unless you have a valid suspicion or something like that, because people do do these things. It's kind of like how we just assume there is this dishonesty when you give an excuse for why you can't do something, 
It's like our society has just developed this assumption of dishonesty in that situation where it's like, oh, he called out sick to work and he didn't tell me all, he didn't tell me the color of his vomit. He must be lying. And maybe that's in my head where it's like, oh, in order for the, in order for my work to trust the fact that I'm truly sick, I've got to tell them the color of my vomit. TMI, dude. TMI, TMI, you know, it's in the same way that there's this kind of like built in distrust. And even if somebody isn't, even if somebody is trusting us, we still have this feeling that we need to, to like make them trust us. And so that's this kind of thing that can play out with, you know, male and female friendships where like I've had girlfriends and like. I've had to navigate that myself because I have some close female friends who I don't let sit on my lap. I don't let them sit on my lap. We might hug each other. A quick goodbye, hello, hug. But I don't let... I Listen, listen, new girlfriend. I'm just friends with her. I don't let her sit on my lap. You know, but you do kind of feel this need to explain and it's, it's, it's difficult because you don't want to like be too heavy handed about it because then it gets into this thou, 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 thou doth explain it, thou doth explaineth too much, you know, because it gets into that territory. And then the reality is that some people will tell their girlfriend, oh, she's just my good friend. Meanwhile, she really does sit on my lap. Whatever it is, you know, there are people who are liars. That's the that's the problem is because there are people who are just hard liars. It makes us feel the need to like show that we're not a hard liar. But in doing that, we come across, you know, untrustworthy ourselves in some cases. But anyway, long story short, my friend, you know, wanted her new boyfriend to know that I'm her friend and there's nothing to worry about. So we all hung out and stuff. And, uh, you know, he immediately was like, Oh, you play guitar. Let's start a band. Oh, you, Oh, you play music. They don't even know. Like, first of all, I'm inept. First of all, I'm pretty inept when it comes to like the idea of sitting down and playing music with just a normal person. They would think that I'm retarded if they saw the things that I do on instruments uh, but uh, it was just this thing, though, where it's like he's st- so that's like an like an initial it's it's like a confidant thing again, where it's like, you know, you have to have like shared taste to even go there. You know, maybe that's just me, but it's like I don't meet new people and just hear like, oh, you play bass. Hey, let's start a band. You know, it's just not somewhere I go. I mean, to me, there's like it, it requires a level of familiarity and uh, just a common that requires such like a, an understanding to me. And, you know, maybe I am the weird one when it comes to that stuff. But anyway, something else he did is he sent me like music to check out. And this, this sounds, I, I know that I sound like the asshole here because this is normal stuff. This is normal stuff that people do. But it's just, he sent me this music video and she's not dating him anymore. So I'm I'm not worried about, I'm not talking shit about my friend's boyfriend here. They broke up, but, uh, you know, he sent me a video and like, I, I just got it. And I immediately, my immediate response was just, you know, the sound you heard earlier, 
you know, it was immediately that feeling. And it's that, and just to explain, that's not a feeling of anger. It's just simply like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. You know, it's, it's just not wanting to deal with it. And, uh, and I clicked on it finally. Like, it took me like two days to look at it because I was just like, ugh. I guess for my friend's sake, I don't want to ignore her boyfriend. And because it's important for him to not feel threatened by me, I don't want to ignore his message too. You know, we're, we're complicated people, you know, we are. And so I finally looked at it and it was like these white rappers, they weren't even like, they weren't even like hip hop guys. It was just like these normal dudes rapping over, I don't even, I, I don't even know what it was. I turned it off right away. I know that it was rap, but it involved like, it wasn't like rap rock, but it was like one of those things where I think they use real instruments or something. They use instruments to make this sort of like modern, conscientious hip hop. And it's just, that's just so far. I mean, he would have been better off sending me gangster rap. You know what I mean? Like where it's like the idea of sending me rap or hip hop in general is just not going to go over well. But, he, you know, if he had sent me some some kind of gangster rap, I probably would have been like, oh, I'll enjoy this for a second. I'll enjoy some gangster rap for a minute just as a novelty. But this other thing was so far from anything. And we hadn't had any kind of conversation where I was like, <laughs> dude, I love white rap when guys rap over acoustic guitar. Oh, dude, you know the music that really speaks to me, man? It's when when a, a white rapper raps verses over an acoustic guitar. You know, it's just something like that. Like, like we, if we had had some sort of conversation about music, we didn't even talk about the music we liked. And I just felt like, man, I can't, I don't know. I just, I get this feeling of dread. But this has happened with, you know, my mom's friends and people too, where it's like, they'll send me things and I know they mean well, and I know this is what people do. I know this is what people do. They send each other things that they think they will be amused by, but I feel like you have to have, I don't know, you have to have some sort of established rapport and it gets really weird when they address it with you. Like when you continue communicating with them, but you don't say anything about the video they sent and they're like, did you watch the thing I sent? It's like they're invested in it. And I know how it feels when someone doesn't look at the thing that you sent them. I sent out a group email a couple months ago. I sent out a mass email. No, it was like to four people who all know each other and there's a certain uh, rapport there. And I didn't get one reply. <laughs> and it was it was stupid. I sent them something silly. So there was sort of a joke built into it. I, I was aware of it, but, uh, still not a single one of them replied to it. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? That makes me laugh. It makes me laugh. Cause it's, again, it's not based on that. I've talked to all those people since then. And it, it, it's just funny though. When like, it's like, I, you know, you can't invest in that. You can't invest in sending someone something. And then the reality is too, it's like, if I can watch something on my computer or listen to something on my computer, it's it's more likely. Like I, I'm much more likely to do it. But I'm just not in this world where I look at things on my phone. I use the phone for social media, and I use it to text and call, and occasionally, like 
the sort of things that I will look at on the internet on my phone are things that like where I need the information. Like I need the address to go to this place. It's very rare that I will just cruise through. I'll cruise through all the things that, you know, I'll look at a bunch of things, a bunch of videos. No, I just don't do that. And it, and it doesn't work very well. So I don't like it. I don't like getting things on my phone. If you're a person who happens to listen to this, I mean, it, I mean, if you're a person who happens to listen to this and you feel like I'm talking about you, maybe I am and maybe you can learn from this. Because of all the people I'm talking about who I know who do some of these things, I love them. And the reality is of knowing somebody is that you know the chinks in their armor and they know the chinks in yours. I don't understand this idea where the people you love are the people you have these perfect relationships with. You know, if you have that, that's amazing. But the reality is, it's like when someone says someone, oh, he's like a brother to me. He's like a brother to me. Like, I call people brother, and the people who I truly consider brothers are not the people who I have some perfect friendship with. They're the people who I have, you know, a solidly established long-term friendship with, but with ups and downs built in, because that's what family is. Like when you start calling a friend a brother or a sister, and I don't call close female friends sisters, maybe like a sister, but I don't say, hey, listen here, sister. Listen here, sister. You know, I don't say that shit, but I will say, you know, I will say like, hey, brother, you know, to male friends, whatever. But, you know, what's built into that is ups and downs. It's like this isn't just some, oh, hey, we get along perfectly or we understand everything perfectly. It is sort of like family in the sense that, the ups and downs are just built into it, but you accept those. Um, so it's like anybody that I'm talking about in this episode, it's, it, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people I care about for the most part. You know, maybe not my friend's ex-boyfriend, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, these are people who I care about, but they're just little flaws. Like the, where you just, it's like you want something from somebody. And when they don't give that to you, you want an explanation. But they don't owe you an explanation. And, you know, I almost called this a pet peeve. You know, I almost refer to this stuff as a pet peeve, but I don't think it is a pet peeve. Because a pet peeve, like a pet peeve for me is the fact that people don't follow the same rules on the sidewalk as they do on the road. Meaning, hug the right side, okay? Treat the sidewalk like it has two lanes and stick to the right side. You'll never have to do that awkward sidewalk dance again where it's like, oh, oh you're going this way? Oh, oh, you're going that way. Oh, I'm going to sidestep over here. Oh, you you stepped the same direction me, so we have to do it again. You'll never have to do that stupid, humiliating dance when two people are on the same side of the sidewalk walking toward each other or where, where someone has to, like, dart to the left and then dart to the right. Oh, you did it too. We're, it's like we're miming each other. You'll never have to do that again if you follow this simple rule. Hug the right side. And go on the left side to pass a slow walker. Go to the left to pass a slow walker and go around them and then get back to the, you know, just follow the same rules as the road. And I know that England doesn't go in the same directions. I know that in England, cars drive upside down. I know that uh, it's it, the laws of physics are completely different. But no, I mean, I know I have a couple English listeners here, you know, uh, shout out to Joe, shout out to John, my English listeners here, 
which what a blessing that is even though like i i call english people redcoats even though i've said some very disparaging things about england <laughs> i'm so grateful that i have english listeners um no but really like i know in that part of the world you know they drive on different sides of the road but guess what the same can still be true on sidewalks in england hug the left if you're walking on a sidewalk in england hug the left side of the sidewalk Follow the rules of the road. There's two lanes here going in opposite directions. That to me is a pet peeve, though. Even though I feel that that should just be intuitive, I understand that it is a a pet peeve. Because a pet peeve is sort of like, it's something neurotic that you put a lot of weight onto that doesn't actually matter. That's what a pet peeve is. I don't think this other stuff that I've been talking about in this episode is a pet peeve. I think it's just a matter of you know, proper conduct. You know, if somebody says they can't do something, you don't press them for an explanation. If you already trust them, you know, yeah, if it's your junkie son who steals from you, maybe you can press them then. Why didn't you go to your job interview? I couldn't. I said, why didn't you go to your job interview? I can't believe that this irresponsible junkie once inhabited my womb. He owes me an explanation. You know, that's a little different. I think that's a little different where it's like if somebody has, if you care about somebody, if you love somebody and they have a history of dishonesty, I think it's a, it might be a little different. You might have to hold them to a slightly different standard. But if someone's a good person in your life, and they say they can't do something, and your first response is to demand more information or an explanation, you're being an asshole. And if somebody feels that you're being an asshole, that's not their pet peeve. That ain't, that ain't a pet peeve. It's not a pet peeve. It's the right response to be like, you know what? Back off. I don't owe you an explanation. If somebody doesn't click a link, somebody doesn't take the time to load a video on their phone that they're not even going to enjoy, they don't owe you an explanation for why they didn't look at it. They don't owe you anything. So again, not a pet peeve. It's, It's just simply something you can't expect out of somebody else. But you can, you know, expect more out of yourself. You can start to notice these things and stop doing this yourself if you do these things. If you find yourself needling people when they don't do what you want, even about something silly and small. If you're an employer, if you're somebody's boss and they call in and they say, hey, I'm using my PTO, I'm using one of my sick days, I can't come in today. Don't needle them for more information. If they're a good employee, if you trust them to do their job, they come to work on time and regularly, don't press them for more information. Don't ruin their day off by making them feel this pregnant pause, pressuring them to give you information. Don't do that to them. Don't do that to your friends. You know, just don't expect that of people. 
world would be better. The world would be better if we didn't do this stuff because we do this in so many different ways. And I'm sure I do it as well. You know, I'm sure there are situations where I don't catch myself and I do this myself to people. You know, and, and I think there is a difference if somebody truly needs your help. I think that's, you know, it's like, oh, hey, like I had a flat tire. And I don't got triple A's. I don't got the triple A's. I don't got the Oakland triple A's to come help me with my tire. I just need somebody to give me a ride. I just need somebody to drive me to the gas station. And you don't reply to them. You're kind of being an asshole because they needed you. But there are situations where it's that friend who it's, you know, there's there's sometimes a friend, and I, I definitely have one or two of these. Again, not to call anybody out. But, like, sometimes I ask myself, I'm like, why is it always you? Like, I've helped you many times. And many times it's a situation where you do need help. But I wonder, why is it always you? Why are you always the person who ran out of gas? You know, and it's hard to address this with people because they chances are they know. Chances are they know what they're doing deep down. They know that they are responsible for this. But that happened to me with a friend who... It just seemed like every month, every couple months, they needed something. They needed help with something. And, you know, in many cases, it was something that they needed help with. Like a flat tire. But it got to the point where I was like, what is going on that this always happens to you? I'm not going to chalk it all up to bad luck. I feel like there's some irresponsibility or something. And I know it doesn't feel good to be in that position. Because deep down, you probably know that you're somehow contributing to this thing that keeps happening to you. These things that keep happening to you. But eventually, I just had to put my foot down. And just there was one day where it was early in the day. I was looking forward to just having a day where I, I didn't have to do anything. And this friend who had, was always needing things got a hold of me. And I just said, you know what? I'm not going to do it. And, I, and you know what I said? All I said was, I can't do it. I didn't say why. They didn't ask me why. To their credit, they didn't ask me why. And they knew that I had helped them a lot. You know, they, they knew that I'd helped them many times before. But this one morning, I just said, you know what? I know that this isn't life or death. It wasn't a life or death situation. It was a situation that seemed to have been repeating for them over the span of several months. But I just said, you know what, I, I can't do it. And, uh, you know, if, I, I think there came a later time. I think a lot of time passed and they did need something else from me later. And I did it because I was like, you know, enough time has passed. And I'm, I've communicated to them that I'm not just going to bail them out every time something like this happens. Because you need to communicate that to your friends. You know, you do need to do that sometimes. And I'm not, I don't know how to be a friend. I don't know that much about friendship or relationships or anything. But if you listen to yourself, you can figure some of these things out. And maybe this all sounds really harsh. I don't know. To me, it just seems like the right way to do things. And, uh, but you don't need to come up with some kind of template either. You know, I, I think I talked about this a year or two ago, probably a year ago, where I saw this thing where 
people in Gen Y and Gen Z, or as they're known colloquially, colloquial, colloquially as millennials and Zooms and Zoomers, millennial Zoomers and Zooms, you know, people of my generation and younger, we're coming up with these templates to use. I saw an article about it, that they were coming up with these templates to use to send to your friends when you can't help them. And the ones that I saw were honestly very despicable. What I saw was despicable because it it was responses to send to your friends when they need emotional support. Where like, it was like if your friend contacts you and they are feeling depressed and, you know, sad about their life and they need somebody to talk to, send them this template that says, I'm, you know, I'm up to my neck and my own problems. No, I wish, I wish that's what it said. It was like, it was all this modern bullshit language, this, the way that therapy has colored the way everybody talks, not everybody, but the way that therapy has colored the way certain people talk, where it's like, I am focused on my own self-care tonight, and I cannot be there to talk to you. It was some sort of template, and it involved all that sort of self-care language that I just find tiring. And that's their language. Because that's the big excuse of the younger generations. I feel tired. I'm so tired. I'm tired of you saying you're tired. But that was essentially what these templates were. These templates were these responses that you could send your friends when they're in need. They would say, basically, I'm too tired and depressed myself to assist you with your own tired and depressed thoughts. And I understand that because I feel like that fits with what I'm talking about here today, where sometimes you just can't do it. Sometimes you just can't be there for somebody whether they actually need you or not, there are some times where you just can't do it. But the idea of sending a template, because, I mean, I'm even of the opinion that instead of letting autocorrect speak for you, if you misspell something and autocorrect corrects it, you go back and you retype it because you want it to be in your own words. You don't want a machine talking for you. You know, you know I kind of have this extreme take that, again, I don't follow. In the same way that I, even though you can avoid telling soft lies, you're probably not going to live a life where you'll never tell soft lies in the same way as that. Like make a habit of going back and retyping the thing that autocorrect tried to change so that you are the one doing it. And I know it's time consuming and this sounds insane, but you don't want that machine talking for you. You don't want to get used to that in the same way. You don't want to get used to telling soft lies. Does that mean that I never let autocorrect do things for me? Of course not. I'm not completely insane. I just make, I'm conscious of it. I'm conscious of it every time autocorrect does something. And I try to make an effort to retype things some of the time so that I'm not just using this autocorrect machine, correcting what I say and speaking for me all the time. It's kind of like that. But the fact that younger generations were coming up with templates for what to tell your friends in need when you can't help them. I'm just like, the least you could do is just say in your own voice, type your type it yourself that you can't help them. And they're the asshole if they demand more than that. 
the other person is the asshole if if you tell them i can't do it because i have an appointment and they say where and when where and when's the appointment give me the phone number of the doctor you're going to so i can verify that you have an appointment which is why you can't help me you know it's they're the asshole for asking for specifics that they don't need you're not the asshole for saying I can't do it. But you do become an asshole if you use a template. If you use a template for talking to your friends, you suck. <laughs> you know, honestly, if you use a template for responding to your friends, especially if they are in need, you suck. You suck. That's what it comes down to. You suck when you demand an explanation from people. And you suck when you give them an explanation that is pre-written. There are a lot of different ways that you can suck in these situations. But one way that you can avoid sucking is to be honest. But not, not honest to the point that you feel the need to say more than is necessary. You let somebody know that you can't commit to this thing that they want from you. And that is all the honesty you need. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave, this golden land to me. And when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains, I see a land where children can run free.